This podcast is brought to you by Recontract, the leading software to automate your reconditioning process. From vehicles to people to parts, Recontract streamlines every touchpoint in your recon process. Visit recontract.com an to learn more. That's R-E-C-O-N-T-R-A-C dot an. Welcome to Daily Drive. For Wednesday, March 1st, 2023, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show... Hyundai and Kia keep rolling while Toyota sales slip again. GM cuts salaried and executive jobs. And Mercedes thinks level four autonomous driving is doable by the end of the decade. Plus, we'll hear from Toyota's chief scientist about why the world's largest automaker isn't as enthusiastic about battery electric vehicles as most of its competitors. It's not that we're anti-BEV. We love the EVs and we're gonna make tons of them. It's just yes and. And the and is other forms of what we call electrification. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Improving inventory and higher retail demand helped U.S. sales at Hyundai and Kia advance for the seventh straight month in February. Deliveries at Hyundai last month rose 9% to 57,000, a February record. The company says retail sales rose 1% to almost 53,000. Hyundai said Wednesday it ended February with 54,000 vehicles in U.S. inventory. That's up 20% from the close of January and almost triple what it was a year earlier. Kia also set a February record. Sales rose 24% to more than 60,000 with major gains for the Forte, Sportage, Sorento, Telluride, and Carnival. Meanwhile, volume dropped for the second consecutive month at Toyota. With supplies still tight, sales slipped 2.4%. But one bright spot, Lexus brand sales were up 6%, snapping a stretch of 12 straight monthly declines at the luxury brand. As of recording time, we're still waiting on Honda, Subaru, and Mazda February sales results. Ford and Volvo will report tomorrow. The rest of the industry reports U.S. sales on a quarterly basis if they report at all. Rivian is forecasting 2023 production well below analyst estimates. The EV startup says it's targeting production of 50,000 cars this year. Analysts had expected more than 67,000 vehicles. The company cited lingering supply chain problems. Rivian also announced a recall of more than 12,700 vehicles. It cited an issue with a sensor in the front passenger seatbelt system. However, the company believes fewer than 100 vehicles will require the part to be replaced. The recall announcement is Rivian's third since going public in November 2021. In October, it recalled about 13,000 cars due to a potential issue that could cause a driver to lose control of the steering. General Motors says it is eliminating a small but unspecified number of salaried and executive positions. GM says the cuts are performance-related. In an internal memo that was shared with Automotive News, GM Chief People Officer Arden Hoffman told employees that the cuts involve, quote, a relatively small number of global executives and classified employees following our most recent performance calibration. GM spokesman David Barnes said the company is focusing on accountability and efficiency in what it's calling a critically important year. The Detroit News reported on the job cuts earlier Tuesday, saying about 500 positions were affected. And Mercedes-Benz is aiming to roll out level four driverless technology that would allow a vehicle to drive without any human involvement. Earlier this year, Mercedes became the first automaker in the U.S. to say it plans to sell an advanced driver assistance system 
that allows motorists to drive eyes and hands free in certain traffic conditions. That's level three, mostly for traffic jams and only in Nevada. But this announcement signals that the brand is aiming for an even more sophisticated driverless system. Mercedes Chief Technology Officer Marcus Schaefer said achieving the more advanced level four driving is doable by the end of the decade. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Kia and Hyundai with some good February sales numbers. What do these early results say about where the auto market is heading? Yeah, the key word there was is early, right? We're early in the year. We're even early in the in the February results. So I don't I want to be careful not to read too much into it. But it looks like, you know, we're still seeing, you know, strong consumer demand despite the high prices and uh, rising interest rates that are making affordability a, an issue for more consumers. But what we're really seeing is, you know, the, the fleet market that had been so neglected through the pandemic as uh, automakers, you know, really prioritized the more profitable retail sales. Now that there's a little extra capacity, a little more production and uh, not as much growth in the retail demand, plenty of supply available now for commercial government and rental fleets. Uh, that's really where we're seeing the growth. And, uh, and that's a market that needs it. Gotcha. Coming up, Toyota has been getting plenty of blowback recently related to its controversial approach to carbon reduction. The automaker's chief scientist joins us to explain Toyota's thinking. That's next on Daily Drive. Across the Hendrick Automotive Group, each store had a different reconditioning process. They started looking for a solution that would help them standardize their processes, give them actionable information, and ultimately drive efficiency. Knowing they needed to bring together all pieces of their operation to cut cycle times down to their goal of three days, they chose Recon Track. Chris Little, Vice President of Variable Operations, explains why having the tools to measure your recon process gives you what you need to manage it more effectively. Everyone knows speed uh, to the front line uh, equates to more turns, which helps the overall company do better in terms of parts service and inventory bias. And so uh, when you can really take the time to measure and manage that uh, and perfect that, uh, you're going to increase your turns, you're going to increase your gross profit, and you're really just going to increase the amount of used cars you can sell uh, because you're getting them out on the front line. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Evidence of the warming planet presents itself every day, and the auto industry has a big role in efforts to slow the warming for a more sustainable planet. But there are different opinions about how best to play that part. Toyota has looked at the carbon problem a little differently than most of its competitors, and the world's largest automaker has taken some heat for it. Members of the Sierra Club, which once adored Toyota and its Prius hybrid, now scorn the Prius and Toyota in general for continuing to produce vehicles that still burn gasoline. Gil Pratt is Toyota's chief scientist and CEO of the Toyota Research Institute. He took the automaker's argument to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. He took it to Tokyo. And he brought it to us on our latest Automotive News LinkedIn Live event. Pratt in Silicon Valley spoke with me in Detroit and Automotive News Asia editor Hans Greimel in Tokyo. Here's a piece of our conversation. Hello, Gil. Thanks for joining me. How wonderful to be here, Jamie. So why can't we all have EVs right now? And why might hybrids be a better solution for reducing carbon emissions? Or part well, of the solution. Uh, Jamie, I think that you said it well. Uh, there are actually three uh, main reasons that we think about for a diversity of approaches rather than a all BEV approach. 
the first one that you mentioned is affordability. As material prices are still high uh, and are probably going to be high for quite some time, batteries are expensive. And so if you can afford them or if you can use them in a more effective way, affordability is actually one of the detriments that a all BEV approach would have. Those kinds of cars would be too expensive. And if we only made those kinds of cars, we might end up with less net uh, CO2 emissions reduction because people would hang on to their older cars for longer. Uh, the second uh, you also mentioned was the total amount of uh, lithium and other critical materials that are used to make batteries. Uh, there's plenty of them within the crust of the earth. That's not the problem. The difficulty is a transient one in that it takes uh, 10 to 15 years to build a new mine to extract these materials whereas only a few years to build a new battery factory to use them. And the demand is going up very, very rapidly. So for example, the International Energy Agency has estimated there may be a shortfall of one third to one half between supply and demand for some of these battery materials looking into the future for the next 10 to 20 years. So there's not enough of these materials that will be around just from the raw materials from mines in order to use in an all BEV answer. The final one, which I think uh, most people can appreciate, is the rollout of uh, renewable recharging infrastructure. It does you no good to have a BEV if you don't have a convenient way to recharge it, and if that recharging infrastructure doesn't come from renewable power. Uh, of course, in some parts of the world, uh, I happen to live in, uh, in California where actually things are pretty good, there is a lot of renewable power and the charging infrastructure is being built out quickly. But when we look at the dynamics, how long that's going to take uh, throughout the world, we see a diversity and we see that it's going to take time. And so we don't want to have perfect be the enemy of good. And we want to reduce as much carbon as soon as possible all over the world. And that means adapting the solution to the circumstances that you find. That all sounds perfectly reasonable to me, I guess. But how has your message been received as you've taken this around the world? So it absolutely was the case maybe a year ago or so uh, that we were having a difficult time helping people to understand this, that actually the world isn't all the same, that one size fits all isn't going to work. However, as lithium prices have gone up, as the war in Ukraine has made uh, sort of critical dependence on energy uh, much more clear to more people throughout the world, there's this understanding that we have to solve this problem in a way that actually works. And that, you know, here's, here's the main reason to, uh, to sort of think this way. Uh, CO2 stays in the atmosphere for a really long time. And uh, it means that it'll be around for 100 years, in some cases, parts of it for even 1,000 years or more. And so we really need to accelerate the reduction in CO2 as soon as possible. And yet, there's not enough lithium right now to do it all BEV. There's not enough charging infrastructure to uh, roll it out right now in a universal way. And there's not enough money in our customers' pockets to buy all of these vehicles right now. And so uh, I think that people are beginning to un understand uh, the reception at the World Economic Forum was actually quite good. Mm -hmm. And about half of the people there that were in my talk actually raised their hand and said that they thought that that was right, which was a remarkable shift given the thoughts that they had before. 
Well, Gil, if I can just jump in there, I, you know, a lot of what you're talking about or what Toyota talks about in general with this multi-pronged approach to carbon neutrality seems a little bit against the grain for the overall industry these days, where we see almost daily uh, reports from all corners of the globe of automakers investing billions and billions and billions of dollars into new battery factories, into new EV lines, into new EV platforms, into new EV this, that, and the other thing. What's going on? It seems like most of the industry is going full hog into EVs without giving a consideration for these uh, restrictions that you are flagging as a, as a kind of a warning here. Is the industry over-investing in EVs? Is there a bubble uh, building that could burst someday? So I am not sure um, in terms of what other companies are doing. What we are doing is we're also investing billions and billions of dollars uh, not only in the US, but throughout the whole world. Our uh, target is three and a half million electric vehicles or actually battery uh, electric vehicles per year, only seven years from now in 2030. So by itself, that's the equivalent of a fairly good sized car company. Uh, and uh, Lexus is going to lead the way on that with 100% of the vehicles that they sell in the US being BEVs by that time. And a total of around 1 million per year for uh, Lexus by that time. What we're trying to explain, and since we are more international, I, I believe, than any other OEM, is that when you look at this from a global point of view, it's not that we're anti-BEV. We love BEVs and we're going to make tons of them. It's just yes and. And the and is other forms of what we call electrification. So we think about a plug-in hybrid vehicle and a, and a hybrid vehicle as being similar to a BEV in many ways, and we've actually looked at the uh, carbon reduction that's that's possible with them, but uh, in many ways, because the amount of batteries that they mm -hmm. need is significantly less, they're much more practical. And for HEVs, depending on what your charging in infrastructure is, even more practical for reducing carbon in other parts of the world. I can I can tell you just some of the uh, figures for this thing. For one BEV, one uh, sort of standard long-range BEV. Uh, an equivalent plug-in hybrid uh, vehicle. We've actually run the numbers on this, and we can make six plug-ins for each BEV, and we can achieve around five and a half times more carbon reduction with the six plug-ins than for the single BEV. And it gets even more uh, the case for the hybrid vehicle, again, because the battery is so much smaller. In that case, we can make 90 hybrid vehicles for the same amount of batteries as we use in one BEV. And those 90 um, hybrid vehicles individually will not reduce CO2 uh, emissions as much, but taken together, it's around 35 times more than the one BEV will, will do. So this doesn't mean that we just make HEVs or just make PHEVs. It, what it does mean is like, let's make BEVs for those parts of the world where it makes the most sense and make the other kinds of powertrains for other parts of the world where it makes more sense there. Is the hybrid strategy do more savings of carbon because of how it's used? I I'm dating myself, and I, I tell the story all the time, but I started covering the industry when the Prius was new. And the thing was that it had the electric motor to get it started through the dirtiest part, <laughs> the most fuel-consuming part of the, of the process of so just getting rolling. And once you get five miles an hour, that's pretty easy. It's a very efficient vehicle after that. Um, yeah. Is that is that kind of the key to you know using them is getting that that first mile that first mile per hour? 
That is definitely one of the right ways of looking at this thing. What it's really doing is it's recouping the energy when you come to a stop and then using that energy to launch the vehicle when you start back up. And that's why the city mileage, the city fuel efficiency is comparable to what it is on the highway, whereas before all of that kinetic energy in the car was thrown out when you uh, put the brakes on and then you had to put it back in, as you said, uh, during the least efficient part of the operation. The other thing that happened is that the engines in our uh, HEV cars and PHEV cars are really, really uh, efficient, up to 40%, which is quite good. So even when the engine is on, the fuel efficiency is very, very good, and it's tuned to operate as much as possible within that sweet spot. So the net effect of doing that is that a HEV, it doesn't have as much CO2 reduction as a BEV does over its life lifetime, but the amount of batteries that we have to invest in it is much, much less. And as a result, we can make many more of them with the same amount of uh, lithium and other materials that are used, and we can make them more affordable than some of these other cars. Again, not a reason to only make that type of car. It's a reason to say one size doesn't fit all in parts of the world where there's lots of uh, re renewable charging in infrastructure. That's a wonderful place to uh, invest in having lots of BEVs made, and we're going to make lots of them. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kevin Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, Dave Phillips, Lindsey Van Hulley, and Irvash Kakaria for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on electrification, monthly sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.